Hello and welcome to Beyond the Classroom, the podcast that takes a critical look at the world of education with a particular focus on the curriculum and teaching in our secondary schools. I'm Kate Barry and I'll be talking to teachers and other educational professionals as we explore and interrogate what goes on inside, outside and beyond today's classroom. Julian Gurdham is a well-known teacher of English and a school leader at St. Columbus College in Dublin. He's also a blogger, prolific tweeter, and has written for publications such as the London Review books, the Irish Times, Teaching English, and the Irish University Review. In September 2019, he was the organiser of the first ever Research Ed Ireland, an event which we'll talk about here and which Julian is happy to announce will return to St. Columbus in September 2022. I began by asking Julian about his decision to take up teaching and also about his career so far. I started out in teaching in Scarily in 1984, um, English teacher, and um, went into it like a lot of people, I think, just sort of accidentally. I hadn't planned to be a teacher, but I sort of did the H dip, and there you go, many years later, still in. Um, I'm also, well, I think if, you, if you're a stranger on a train and ask me what I did, I'd say a teacher. Mm. always first but I'm actually also a school leader so I'm, I'm deputy principal for many years <clears throat> and that takes up a lot of my time but I've remained a classroom teacher and would never give that up and smaller timetable but continue continue to to teach day to day. I was reading a book there recently it's Radical Candor Kim Scott's book and she was talking about how you know if you run a, a plumbing company she said you know you should fix some faucets because she's American, so she says faucets. And do you, do you feel it's important like, kind of, to keep your hand in so that you know what's happening? Well, I think so, yeah. I mean, I think if you, you know, and I think ideally, which is not really a model we have much in secondary in Ireland, head teachers, principals should do some teaching as well. It's just you inevitably get caught up in other things and you lose contact with, with what's happening. And so... No, I, I, I do it because I enjoy it, not for theoretical reasons, <laughs> keeping in touch. And you say you enjoy it. Like, What's the, what's the thing that you enjoy most, say, about being being a teacher generally and about being a teacher of English? No great surprise. I think any teacher enjoys it, enjoys being in a room with however many young people who are learning and learning in a subject which you love. And I think most teachers go into the to the job originally because they love their subject, whether it's mathematics or English or French. And, you know, I continue to love English, to love fiction, poetry and so on. I read a lot myself for myself. So to share that and be part of that journey for young people is, um, you know, it's a privilege, actually. And do you think it's more important to develop young people as, as readers or as writers or is there a contradiction there between those or do the two things go in tandem? Well, I suppose if I'd have to choose, I'd probably say readers. I think anything else is going to come from that. And, and a, a person who is a, a, lot, a deep reader is going to be able to write. And I think there's so much evidence that reading is one of the determinant factors in, in student success from, you know, from a very early age. So I, I have a daughter who's almost 10 now, obviously, as an English teacher, been reading to her from the very beginning. She's a reader now you can see the benefits in almost every academic discipline mm. just simply leading for enjoyment and you know, it feeds through to to obviously everything in school life so um i think i think that's the by the time of course we get them in secondary 
school level, that, that has been pretty well determined already in primary school. Um, but it's just, you know, you just see it. You see people who are readers in any, any area, whatever it is, whether they're interested in history or science or poetry, the benefits are huge in, in the general academic progress. Mm. And it's, it's like if, I think if students struggle with reading, then the whole curriculum, is, it's like they're looking through a smoked glass. But when they can read, it's like they're they're not even conscious of being a good reader. It's that they can they can access things so much more easily. And uh, uh, absolutely, and and um, a really good person to read on this, as you know, is Alex Quigley, who's written books, uh, closing the reading gap, closing the vocabulary gap. He's got an, another one coming out soon, which uh, I think explains really well how this works across the disciplines. It's, mm-hmm. it's really, it isn't just an English matter. Uh, your access to vocabulary, your understanding of our words work in different academic circumstances are, you know, are, really are dependent on, on those abilities. Mm. And there is talk sometimes of, you know, that every teacher now is a teacher of literacy and, and even every teacher now is a teacher of numeracy. I mean, do you, do you still feel that, that reading is, has that kind of displaced the idea of reading being central to English if, if every teacher is a teacher of reading? then maybe in reading within the subject of English as kind of not given the importance that it used to have. Well, I suppose those things are, those are sort of things that everyone says. They're, they're, they're true. It's like motherhood is good. Yeah, okay, right, fine. <laughs> um, I mean, to be honest, we're probably, for those of us not in that arena, probably ticking a box when we come to something like numeracy. You know, we, we faithfully do what national initiative tell us to. And there may be an element of that with literacy as well, that um, you know, it's it's an aspiration which probably isn't always worked through on that much. I'm not sure that answers your question. No, it, it it does it does I think yeah, in in theory, in in theory it it sounds it sounds great, and every teacher probably should be a teacher of literacy. If um, but then yeah, it's it's how does that how does that then get enacted in schools like how how does that work if it's if it's everybody's job then maybe it's um ends up being you know a little bit of a a, a little bit in every subject but not necessarily the the concentration because i think that comes out in alex quigley's book as well like that the even even though as teachers in 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 secondary level you know almost all the children that they come in when they can read it's how much how much effort is still needed to develop them as readers, that there's still so much you can do in second level, like to take them from when they come in and from sixth class to when they leave. If you think of what they should be capable of reading at the end of sixth year compared to when they come in in first year, like there's still a lot of work there in second there level. Yeah, there is. And, and um, you know, you can never, this is a kind of curse of knowledge, I suppose, as a teacher, you can never be too confident of, even sort of 17 and 18 year olds, reading levels, vocabulary levels, you know, you can sound like an old man here, which I probably am, which is, you know, you keep on being shocked by words which you think, which you obviously assume you know, you know, and then you think, well, most people, there are two or three people, and it turns out, you know, 18 in the class actually don't know what contemporary means, um, which I had the other day. Yeah. Uh, that's a bit of a shocker. So you can never, never assume. Yeah. Or they, or they have a meaning that makes sense to them, 
And a word we learned that at the other day was um, current. And th this is actually in a, in a French lesson. And that I, we were talking about like a current, and then I came up with the example of a current account because I, I thought, you know, if they're doing business then they know what a current account is. And they they didn't know. And they they had an idea, what, what's the money that you currently have? And I said, well, that's not, that's not quite... I mean, you could say that that's true, like that's linked to the meaning. But it, it did kind of surprise me that that was, that that's my most recent example that kind of sticks out in my mind. But every, every day yeah. I can, I can come up with this. And, and often in French as well, when I, because that's my other subject. And often when I teach French, I say, well, you know this word, because it's just the same, it's the same as the English word. And I go, but that's not an English word. And it is, it is an English word. And to, and to talk about something in topical, and during during the week, we've had announcements from Minister Norma Foley about some indications of now. No, we we don't have the full picture yet of of what's going to happen with the reform of the senior cycle, but we have had some indications of the changes that that are going to be happening very very soon. I think in the fifth year, 2024, that they'll be setting their paper one and in Leaving Cert English and Irish at the end of, of fifth year. So that'll be like 50% of the marks even before they go into sixth year. And were you surprised by the changes? Is, is this what you thought was going to happen or is it, or is it different? Um, well, I wasn't surprised by the possibility of uh, assessment being fifth year, which I have issues with in any subject. Um, the actual division of the choice of a particular paper in English um, was, a, was a bit of a surprise. Um, it doesn't actually make a great deal of teaching and learning sense. Um, I think it's been done for other reasons. So um, I have, you know, serious concerns about assessments, especially high stakes leaving certificate assessments being fifth year as a school leader so what you know the tendency is there's much talk about well-being these days well that's a real challenge to well-being you're going to get kids who decide not to be part of the basketball squad or the rugby squad or you're going to get kids who won't take part in the school musical now all that is that's part of what it's really important in school life so i'd be a bit worried about that and i'd say that english and irish might be pilot fish here you know there might be more subjects to come mm. Well, that, that concerns me as a kind of global idea. Um, it's been done for what seems to make sense. You know, you, you reduce stress levels on, from a terminal exam and put them earlier. But actually, it may extend the stress or just displace it. And it's also giving it to them at a time when they're probably less able to cope with it. And, uh, there's a, a year has got a long time from 18 to back to 17. So... I would have concerns about that. And, uh, you know, we're both English teachers. We know the issues about paper one. And, and you mentioned there that it's been displaced. And I think that that's a real issue, that it's it's not that they're adding something at the end of fifth year. It's that they're, 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 they're just slicing the half of the sixth year exam and putting half of it in, into fifth year. So the pressure really it's it's still there it's just at two points now instead of instead of just on on two 
on two separate days. And my my own feeling about it, if they if they were going to put something at the end of fifth year, I'd maybe put something like the question A, because I feel that that's that which is for anybody if you're not in English, the question A is like what would have been known as that like a comprehension like where they're given. Um, where they're given a passage and they have a choice of three and then they answer questions on those just from just from feeling that that's an area where where they generally do well and I would feel that whatever they'd want to do at the end of fifth year it would want to be a component where they would do well and um, so that when they go go into sixth year they, they're not feeling behind that, that makes good sense. Uh, and I also I think ironically, what's being moved is the least stressful part of the exam, um, of the overall English exam. I can't speak for Irish here, I don't know enough about the Irish course, but in English, you know, the, the hardest, the most work, most preparation, most revision is for literature, of course. And yet that, you know, that stays, you, you bring back an exam which actually requires, well, which doesn't tend to get that kind of heavy level of study. And but but my real issue is is this it, you know it, that decision plainly didn't have English teacher <laughs> input because it what you get in the combined literature language course is a kind of interplay between the two mm-hmm. um, and indeed you can actually formally you know, set various tasks and exercises connecting the two but also because paper one which for those who are not English teachers listening. Here, the, the prime component of it is a long composition of an essay, which might be those of the short story, might be discursive piece, descriptive piece, and so on. Um, it's precisely as they move into sixth form that they start getting better at this, developing as, as people, um, developing as readers, writers. So it's suddenly going to end at the end of fifth year, just while it's beginning mm. <laughs> to gather pace. And, you know, every year I ask, uh, the, the kids I teach in sixth form, I say, a few weeks into the year, I say, right, tonight we're going to go back into your folders and you're just going to reread all your language work from last last year. That's all. Just reread it. I'll talk to you in class part. Come into class and then I say, well, what did you think of your work? They, they start sort of nervously giggling, laughing. And a lot of them then t- say, oh, I see what you meant, sir. <laughs> mm. Um, because they have a sort of perspective on it that it was undeveloped, a bit thin, a bit naive, etc. And they're beginning to address that. So by putting that composition at the end of the fifth year, you stop all language work for sixth year. So there's nothing other than literature. But actually, the real message here is that what matters is the exam, despite the fact that supposedly this is to get away from stress in the exam. So... I don't know. I mean, it, this this one, which obviously has gone down badly with English teachers, uh, this might not survive. I mean, it's it's a very easy it's a very easy change to make. You wouldn't have to mm. change cycle of form simply to switch to switch them. Uh, and it doesn't make sense. It doesn't. Uh, it, it, it's poorly thought out. It's, well, not it wasn't thought out at all. Yeah, yeah. I I I think so. I think there was whatever decision making was was going on. I, I think. Somebody said, well, what, what do they do in English? Or they do two papers, or we just move one of them to the end of fifth year. And and what you're saying that then they, they're they not going to be in the year that they would really be coming into their own as as writers. And as much as they 
in as much as they will, and, and some of them will, and some of them will write wonderful things in sixth year, and some of them will write, you know, what they are capable of writing, but that's, it's still stopping for all of them. It's stopping them short of what they're capable of producing at the end of six years of, five or six years of secondary school. That's correct. And, and uh, you know, not so long ago, I've marked some mock compositions. And, you know, you see also there's a voice here, you know, there's an interesting voice which is engaging with various issues, whether it's climate change or racial issues, whatever, that you're then, and you're leading those, those conversations in class are happening. Um, but in reality, they'll just stop because there'll be nothing to do other than I'm all in favour of looking at Shakespeare and poetry and so on, but mm. everything else just will stop if, if you examine examined earlier on. And would you see changes then, do you think, in how, as as English teachers, you, know, you think about your course and you, you think about your plan for, for for two years? And I know going into fifth year, like, you haven't everything planned out. Well, I'll be doing this in February, 12 months. But you'd have some idea of kind of blocks of how you're going to plan things out. And do you think that if there's sitting paper one in fifth year, that means then that there there will be a lot of time maybe spent on that. And that doesn't that then push a lot of the literature will be then displaced then into sixth year? Oh, yeah. No, I'm sure you're right, yeah. Um, you know, I think as well, as I said earlier, that the two actually work pretty fruitfully together and it's 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 a very good to have the November of sixth year you're deep into some Shakespeare play, but you actually can pause and you can give work, which is language, or you can have a class which involves something else, a discussion about some uh, you know, short composition, that sort of thing. So all that goes. So, yeah, it's it's, it's not something which is, it's, it's a kind of decision which superficially makes sense, you know, a very superficial level. It's the sort of decision I make, might make about something I didn't know much about. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. And really, yeah, so it comes down to what they call domain-specific expertise. There's an analogy here, which is, well, I have an analogy, which is if I, you know, if I were asked to sort of lead a review of a hospital's operations, um, mm. you know, uh, to make it work better, and fewer problems in operating theatre and so on, the very, very first people I would go to to ask to see what was happening in the hospital, I think would be nurses. No, I don't. I don't think I'd actually go to doctors, um, nor in deep patients. We all have valuable things to... But nurses know how hospitals work. <laughs> Ask the experts, and they tell you their particular problems in this hospital because that happens. And I think, in this case, teachers just... In this case, English teachers would have said, no, 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 hang on. There are certain problems here. Let's stress test this. Let's work through the problems and have a kind of... Sometimes called it a pre-mortem. Yeah, yeah. If this fails, why will it fail? But, but it's pretty obvious when you look at it. I, I think so. I mean, it's so obvious that there there doesn't seem to have been a, a single practicing English teacher involved in 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 this decision. And overall, looking at senior cycle generally, like where do you see? I was reading the the document there that they brought out during the week, and it looks lovely. No. There's, there's a lot in it that you that you couldn't object to, but it does seem kind of quite vague. Kind of, yeah, yeah. Where, what kind of directions do you think we could be heading in? 
Well, the, I mean, in some way, this is the nature of educational documents, isn't it? I mean, they're, they're kind of, I think, and Orwell say, certain official languages like snow, it's done. You know, there's a sort of blandness to, and again, a lot of things you just have to agree with, other it's good. Lots of stuff there that, in a sense, you couldn't argue against, but it's in the implementation of it that you start to see problems. But in the senior cycle, a lot of people come to it is true. In the senior cycle, everything, in a sense, is determined by the end point, which is, I know not everyone does third level, but qualification for third level, point system, CEO system, and so on. So that remains like a great boulder in the way. That has not is not changing. So that that that's a problem which hasn't been addressed. And in the re- the reforms may in the end not maybe just sort of you know shifting deck chair mm. they're not actually addressing what the problem is really. So shifting around papers in English and Irish and having sixty percent this and forty percent that and so on and so on actually we may end up with not much changing and it's a bit like with the cao and with the point system which has been there since the 1980s to you know was brought in to address a particular situation back then but any changes since then they've been very cosmetic you know they they widened the the, they, they narrowed the bands and then they widened the bands and and i think the they made the groundbreaking decision. You know, they were going to move from letters A, B, C to numbers one, two, three, H, one, H, two, or and I have these. I have any of these changes made any real difference to say to students and candidates actually going through the system? No, that, that that's the problem. The, the the fact is, there's certain numbers of places in third level government is you know. If it wants more access, it has to produce more places, it has to resource third level better, and then it has to allow a system in which people can get through to those courses. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, there will always be that problem. Yeah. And there has to be, where, where, where the demand is there, and you could say, you know, why is that demand there? And what what is it about third level that there's nothing within changing the curriculum or changing the assessment within fifth and sixth year that's going to change the wider societal issues around third level and, and why why everybody wants to go to third level. And when that demand is there, there has to be some kind of, I don't want to use the word rationing, uh, you know, there, there has to be some kind of, uh, of, of way of, um, you know, saying, just saying we let everybody have a go isn't and then see how they get on and if they if they fail their exams in first year then then that's it but that's not really fair on young people either because there needs to be some kind of I, I think where it, where it is unfair is where certain courses for some reason are are fashionable and and sometimes the the number of points that are needed to get in sometimes exceeds maybe the academic rigor then that's actually of the course when you, when you're in there, but I think that's more the exception than the than the norm, really. I mean, there are you know, not to be negative about this all the time. There are positive things in that system. Mm. It is totally dispassionate. Mm. And many international systems are not like the one, our neighbours across the water. It's a computer that does it. You know, there's there's uh, okay, I know there are issues with uh, calculated grades and so on, but generally speaking, uh, you know. 
so it does it does that job. But even a, a relatively, what I would thought would be not be groundbreaking tweaking hasn't been attempted. Such as, for instance, you know, if you if you're applying to do history in a university, why does your history mark not count more than your mathematics and your Spanish? You know? And surely it isn't beyond the wit of people to devise some kind of system which is weighted towards mm. your preferences. And if it's law, certain subjects might. You know, so, so this kind of system where you get six subjects, which are kind of almost randomly chosen overall, which qualify you for doing a particular subject. So, you know, there is a question to ask: why, why should your English mark count very much if you're applying to do chemistry? Yeah. Yeah, and and your and your and your maths mark counts more than your English mark if you're applying to do English. It's and yes, I do think there 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 could be some way of if they asked the universities, you know, when they ask them well, what courses are you going to offer and like what are the codes for these courses that that as part of that process they they could ask them and are there any subjects that you would like to give an extra weighting to and that could all be done still keeping that dispassionate approach and it could all still be done automatically without, you know, me applying and saying with these are the subjects I'm doing and here's my personal statement why I would be a good fit with this university. You know, I, I think we wouldn't want to go there necessarily, but the but certainly that that could be automated where they would give. And the the advantage of that that really that I would see is that one of the real stresses of the point system is that every student you add up your marks and you get a number and that's your number. So if somebody asks you, you know, how many points did you get? You have to, well, you can tell them, I'm not going to tell you, but it's, there, there's an answer. That's a set number of points. And I think if they, if they had a system like you described where they would give a weighting to different subjects, then the number of points that you had would depend on which course you were applying for. So I might have... 615 points if I was applying to do chemistry but that might only translate into 585 say if I was applying to do Italian and Spanish or something so I I think that would ease because it wouldn't feel like that everybody was going through the one process like that everybody would be on their own their own kind of journey yeah it's only worth exploring Um, You know, it, it's, again, again, as I say, basically a lot of these kind of proposed reforms now are going to come up against that, that problem. That, you know, so let's say, without going into the rights and wrongs of it, if there is continuous assessment or there is teacher assessment or whatever, all those things are still going to be governed by the fact that they're high stakes, that they're qualifying you for what, sadly, in some cases, almost career-defining moment, you know, when you're, if you're applying to be a pharmacist or whatever. And so tinkering around with whether it's a terminal exam or continuous assessment or project and so on, all of them feed through to a high-stakes vital grade. Mm. That hasn't been changed. And, and it does mean then that we become really, um, you know, all the, all, the, all the talk about reform has, has really focused on assessment. And assessment is only like one half of curriculum and assessment. And I know there was some talk about, you know, there's new subjects because there's two new subjects coming in. And I think they met with um, 
I think one of them was quite broadly welcomed and I think that the other one was kind of met with well we're teaching that in different subjects already but there's a lot less talk I think about the the curriculum I think in in Ireland generally when we talk about reform we do like even talking about junior cycle reform it does all seem to be focused on well how is this going to be assessed and who is going to do the assessing and that the actual subject content then of the curriculum is and um, really takes a backseat to that. I think that's true. Yes. I mean, there, there have been, again, across the water, there have been quite a lot of discussions in the last couple of years about curriculum in, in the English system, which are actually really interesting to observe from far. They don't have any effect on us, but they're, I think, in so many, many ways, high level, deep discussions about the nature of your curriculum in particular schools and groups of schools and so on. And we certainly, as you're right, we don't have that here. Really. I wonder if it's that we, that we have, and I'm, I'm not sure about your school, but I, I think schools in, in Ireland generally, one difference between here and the UK, just, just talking to, say, teachers that, you know, co- colleagues that would have worked over there, would either the role of the head of department which isn't really a role here like we have the convener but that's just an administrative kind of role in determining the the curriculum in that subject in the school and and very much that in Ireland teachers are as is as positives and negatives to that on the one hand we're we're quite trusted as professionals which I think is great that we're able to and decide for ourselves to say, to say, like as an English department in our school, we we can decide for ourselves what texts, you know, as long as we obviously stick the prescribed ones that they're on the the list for that particular year. But we don't, and and sometimes we might decide amongst ourselves that we we'll, we we'll do a text because that kind of shares the that we'll do the same text as our colleagues because that kind of shares the workload a bit. But if I if there's a text on that I feel I would really like to teach and none of my colleagues are interested in it. You know, I, I have that freedom. And do you think that's important or do you think it's maybe more preferable that that there is a, that there's a kind of a standardisation ac- across the curriculum? Oh, I suppose we have a relatively standardised, we've got national, we've got one example mm-hmm. in the start, which is the Department of Education or the SEC uh, so, you know, those choices where we're not making so much and also we're, we're tending for English, basically everyone does English, everyone does maths right through to the end, which is not the case in across the water or Scotland away. So, um, you know, I think, you know, freedom within a reasonably broad curriculum is, is a good thing. I don't have any issue with having the same syllabus, the same curriculum across the country. We're not a very big country, most of yeah, and and talking about the, I know you're involved. I wanted to ask you a bit about research ed, and which I know is very good news. It's returning to St Columbus this September. Is it September the twenty fourth? And maybe if you could just tell us a bit about research ed and what it involves, and you know, kind of the the history of research ed in Ireland so far. Right. Well, that, that's quite short. Um, the Research Ed was a, a, a kind of movement, really, rather than organisation, which was founded in England in 2013 or something like that. Um, Tom Bennett is the, the UK's independent behaviour advisor, 
uh, got it going. And um, yeah, organization is probably the wrong word because the, the sort of conferences that take place are kind of locally organized, basically. So uh, here, um, myself and my planning teaching colleague, Humphrey Jones, we, we planned a conference in 2019. So the, the format really is that you get um, uh, 40 minute talks by um, people in education, whether they're teachers or lecturers, or people interested in one way or another, researchers. And um, you, know, you go to a series of these, they'll run concurrently, you choose what to go to, you listen for 40 minutes and move on to the next one. So it's very simple. Format and it's cheap because everyone gives their work or their time for free, including us, the organizers, and also the speakers. Even if they're normally charged a thousand euros a day, they, they give it for free. And so it's it's kind of accessible and it's a great kind of social buzz as well. Um, it always takes place in school on a Saturday. Um, school gives its premises for free and so on. So we we. We have a good campus here for doing it, and we're right near to Dublin. It's easy to get to. People can fly in. Easy Dublin Airport. So we did this in 2019. And you were one of the speakers there, as a mixture of Irish teachers and then people who come from abroad, uh, often very distinguished people, professors of various kinds, and so on. So we had uh, visitors from England, from Belgium, Scotland, Sweden. And um, that mix, then you have a whole day on the, on the campus, nice lunch, coffees, and you know, it's an exhilarating kind of experience, I think, for people. Um, and you come away with lots of ideas about teaching and education. It's evidence-based, which doesn't mean everyone says the same thing, but to some extent you have to, you know, talk based on some kind of experience or evidence in, in your own teaching or research you've done. So, so we did it in 2019 here. We got there were 350 people here, and um, it was the first ever in Ireland. There's only been one uh, due to happen in 2020. We had a, a program lined up. We all know what happened. Um, so at the moment, touch wood. You never know these days. But we are planning to have another go, 24th of September. So we'll be announcing speakers and programs soon, and tickets for Ireland. They normally go very fast for research ed events. It was a fabulous day. I remember myself being at it and seeing and there's so many and it was a great mix of international and local speakers and seeing because I had been to the one in London a, a couple of times and, and to see the, the, the same thing happening here and having the same, um, you know, similar kind of conversations happening and being new New kind of new new kind of ideas and and lots of they say lots of mixing and and I think what research as does brilliantly is it brings the it bridges the gap kind of between practice and theory that you have it's not like an academic conference where we have you know where people would be discussing teachers in the third person I think it's great for empowering teachers think to kind of take take control of their own practice. Yeah, the, I mean, the, the last point is a very strong one. I think I, I've sort of lost count of the number of people in the feedback to our to our one, which we got people felt, you know, I always knew I was doing the right thing. <laughs> or people feel that, you know, that, uh, that they've, they've actually met someone who speaks to them on that level, that, that they understand what they're doing. As you say, you don't have to agree with what 
someone says, but you're actually engaging on that level. So, and it's very good. I mean, the, you mentioned I've been to the one in London too, which is vast kind of thing. <laughs> but um, what I liked about our one in particular was, as I said, we had 350 people there, so you have about six strands, you know, six locations in which things take place. So, but it wasn't too big in that, you know, you, mm. you see people and you sit beside someone at one session, five sessions later, you see them close to you and you say, oh, you know, what, did you, what have you been doing since and so on. So those kind of conversations and the fact that you sit together at lunch and so on are, are really, are really uh, pleasing, I think. It's very, you know, you come, come from the day feeling good, I think. But I've, I've been to other ones, obviously. Obviously in the one I was organizing, you're running around like headless mm. chicken, but in the ones where I've just gone as a punter, I've got that feeling every time. You're in totally different environments, you know, you know very, uh, totally different surroundings and uh, uh, locations and so on, and different countries indeed. I've been to several different countries. It has the same, the same kind of uplifting experience. Mm. Really. And I think teachers, I think teachers need that. I think it's affirming of their of their practice. And I, I know. Um, like, like two people who've spoken at Research Ed and are Carl Hendrick and Paul Kirshner. And I know that Carl spoke at the Dublin one. And I know in their in their book they I know they mentioned about, you know, teachers I think it's from, from Pollyanni, I think about, you know, explicit knowledge and tacit knowledge and the and the teachers often have a lot of tacit knowledge that they have gathered throughout their career. Um but they often don't maybe maybe value this or that they don't um and that because because they can't connect it with with it with the theory or with specific research and, and actually saying you know um and actually learning that no this is actually there there are reasons why you're there are other other people are doing this as well and there's a reason why why this thing that you have found works there there's actually a a reason why it works and that that's very affirming i think for people yeah, yeah. so yeah watch the space we're we're putting together we've got some lots of interesting new people both uh, and new people from ireland and some coming in from abroad and then what tends to happen is you, you it gathers a bit of pace so people last time what we found is that people were sort of putting up their hands saying oh can i get two mm. once i knew it was happening so so hopefully this time such wood etc all works out Hopefully, hopefully we'll we'll hope it will. And and thinking about say the future of teaching as a profession in Ireland, like what would you have any like things that you would like to see happening? Or obviously more research ads. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I don't. You see, I, I I think that that kind of feel, the idea of the, the research ed background, so on, and and some sort of basic knowledge of. Um, things which I didn't know when I was starting to teach, you know, some basic cognitive science and so on. It is, I still, still think, you know, there's very little of that in teacher training, as far as I can see, because I, you know, we get PMEs through and you talk to them about their experience in, in university as they start doing uh, teacher placements. And I think we're still at a pretty thin level there. I don't see 22 and 23 year olds coming into the teaching profession, I think still are not getting the kind of things which I think would help them hugely. I'd like to thank Julian for taking the time to talk with me today. You can find Julian on Twitter at, at SSC English 
and also on his own website, juliangurdam.com, where you can find a link to sign up to his newsletter, Fortnightly, a curated selection of recent articles on thinking, writing, reading, teaching, and more. I'm delighted to announce that tickets are now on sale for this year's Research Ed Dublin, and you can find these on stcolumbus.ie slash researched dub, that's S-T-C-O-L-U-M-B-A-S dot I-E slash researched hyphen dub. And you can follow updates on the event on Twitter at at research ed dub, that's at R-E-S-E-A-R-C-H-E-D-D-U-B. Finally, I'd like to thank you for listening to our conversation here today. And I hope to see you next time here on Beyond the Classroom. <laughs>